Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, an opportunity to be honest and open about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. It's my hope that you really relate to what's shared with you today and that you're inspired and supported and comforted as I always am when I chat with my amazing guests. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even leave some comments and reviews. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of instrument operations engineering. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule as an instrument operations engineer. Can you explain what that is? Uh, To be quite honest, when I accepted the job here, I didn't exactly know what that entailed either. Um, But I do know now. And the reason (laughs) why I think that this is kind of obscure is because there are very few places in the world that allow you to have this kind of job. So an instrument operations engineer is actually somebody who controls the instruments on different spacecraft. And they do this by sending commands to them, which are bits, ones and zeros, that means something. So for example, I was able to command a camera once on a spacecraft. So those commands would be something like, take a picture with these exposure levels for this amount of time and this many. And after I do that, I'm responsible for looking at the data that contains those images and unpacking them and making sure they came out the way that we predicted for them to come out and to make sure that the camera is operating the way that it should be operating. So in general, my job is to make sure that we are able to reach science goals by commanding these instruments and making sure that they stay healthy. Wow, that's so awesome. Um, I have to say, I'm just going to confess that when I first heard that you're an instrument operations engineer, I imagined that you're probably wearing overalls. You have like a belt full of tools like spanners and screwdrivers, and you probably had dirt under your fingernails. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm guessing I was pretty wrong. (laughs) I love that. I don't know if I've gotten that one before. You know, usually I I start off with um, asking people, what do you think the instrument means in my job description? And, you know, if I'm talking to kids, they will say, well, I know that instrument can mean like a flute or a guitar, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure that's not what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, you're correct. It's, It's the same word, but it's a different meaning. And I explained to them that it's a tool and it's a tool that's used to find out something new about the places we go to. Right. 
And how did you end up with a job like that? I found this job basically by being persistent. All I knew was that I wanted to work at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And the reason being is that in every class I took at school, at my university, JPL was at the forefront of everything space exploration focused. When we talked about examples of Mars rovers and spacecraft that had left our solar system, it was always the JPL name. And since I was an aerospace engineer, I realized very quickly that that's the type of place I wanted to work at. So we had a career fair at my school, and every fall, all the students would get off from classes to specifically go to this career fair. And it would be a mad rush. You have hundreds of companies coming out to recruit and all these students nervous and otherwise trying to get jobs. And I would always be lined for the JPL booth. And year after year, I tried, I improved, I took criticism. And year after year, I didn't get an internship, but I didn't Mm. let it stop me. I just let it motivate me to keep trying until eventually when I was looking for a full-time job, I was able to get it and get an interview. And that meant the world to me, but it also was terrifying because my track record wasn't exactly great with them. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, this is the first time I heard back, but it felt... It felt like my chance. It was my last chance, basically, and I wanted to do well. So how long were you trying? Like, was this over the course of years or months? Or This was over the course of years. So my freshman year, I didn't exactly know what field I wanted to go into until basically my spring semester. I thought I wanted to be a theoretical mathematician. And the reason being is that I just thought that math was beautiful. And I realized in high school, after searching on the internet, that there was an entirely other field of math that we didn't even touch in high school. And it amazed me and I wanted to study it. And when I got to my school and I started talking to upperclassmen about it, you know, they were telling me that, you know, this is a a commitment. This is a field where you're going to need a PhD. And they were like, I also don't want you to be solely focused on one thing. This school has a lot to offer. How about you try out one of the engineering courses? And so I did exactly that. I did the introduction to aerospace engineering because even though I thought math was cool, I also thought space was pretty cool. Mm. Gosh, you sound so uh, focused. Like it it sounds like you never ever um, detracted from your passion for maths and uh space and jpl where and how and why did that initial passion ignite it's really interesting that you describe it that way because i kind of think of myself as someone who rarely has definable goals it's more so that when an opportunity comes my way that's when I'll latch on to it. But I rarely ever seek it out. And it's not something that I do on purpose. I guess it's just a function of who I am. So in my beginnings, for instance, I could never claim to have always wanted to work at NASA. It just wasn't something that was in my head, per se. Maybe because I wasn't around people who worked there. Um, My parents were not engineers. Um, No one in my extended family was an engineer. And it just seemed like something I knew about and I thought was cool in general, but 
not something that was at the forefront of my mind because it wasn't exactly real to me. But I will say that when I was younger, growing up, I just liked what I liked. So video games, that was a huge thing for me. My dad got me them and I've been playing them ever since. And my mom, you know, she would introduce me to clothes. I would do fashion shows with my cousins. That would be so fun. And I would say that at an early age, I was just allowed to do whatever I liked to do. And that that makes a big difference for a kid to not be constricted to, you know, the pink aisle at Toys R Us. I was over there playing with the Pokemon, but also getting my Barbies. I could do both. And that was really liberating. I mean, back then I didn't even know it was happening, but because of that, it kind of reflected in schoolwork too. You know, I could really like to read and also like to do math. And it, it worked out well for me. I feel like I'm a more well-rounded person because of it. Yeah. So did you follow the maths route because you were good at it? Not exactly. Um, I feel like I followed it because I just thought it was so interesting and so vast. I just knew that in school, what I was learning was just the tip of the iceberg, that there was so much more to math than that. And to be honest, I also thought of math as a beautiful form of art. Um, I guess to give it context, things like learning about the golden ratio and how it's basically this equation that says that there are shapes that appeal to our minds. Like the credit card is not just some random rectangle that they chose to make that shape. It actually derives from math. And there are so many things in nature that derive from math. It's the reason why, uh, what is it, a four-leaf clover is hard to find. Um, The Fibonacci sequence kind of dictates the kind of petals you'll find on a flower. And, you know, learning more about that, more beyond just solving problems and learning more about the equations themselves and how they're reflected in our everyday life without us even noticing it, I just thought that was amazing. And that's kind of why I fell in love with math itself. Yeah, listening to you, I'm falling in love with math. I'm like, I want to study math. Oh, I already (laughs) did. (laughs) (laughs) It's so amazing to hear your your true kind of wonder for mathematics. Um, And 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 how it kept you kind of just wanting to learn more and more. It sounds like you had a genuine curiosity as a child to learn more. Yeah, I, I would definitely have to agree with that. I just thought it was cool. Um, the same way I thought a lot of things were cool, like watching Jimmy Neutron on Nickelodeon, if anyone knows what that is, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, playing hide and go seek and getting in trouble for picking on my brother. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, it's kind of funny when people ask me about, um, you know, how, how did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Because a lot of times parents want to know, like, what can I do so that my kid can be on the same path as you? And I feel like I always have, like, sad news for them because the truth is I was pretty normal. <laughs> I definitely stayed up all night playing video games. I needed to have a curfew set for myself or else, you know, I'd be down there all night. I did do my homework by myself, though. I didn't need anyone to tell me that but it doesn't mean I didn't procrastinate the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, for, for any, 
um, young potential mathematicians. I think we do start out with the wonder and curiosity for STEM-related subjects, but I think what often puts young people off is um, that it gets really hard. Did you ever struggle with um, the difficulty of... Yes, yes, I did. Um, In high school, math was pretty okay for me. I felt like listening to my teacher explain the math and then referencing my textbook was enough information for me to always be able to figure it out, even if I didn't get it in the beginning. But I wasn't blind to the fact that some of my classmates couldn't operate in that way. And that's because we all learn in different ways. I truly do think that the medium for how you are taught math has a great impact on how well you you believe you can do it in the future. So here's an example. I tutored, I used to tutor students in middle school to high school, depending, just in my free time because I wanted to help and I like math and it kept me fresh too. And I remember there was a girl who was struggling with the introduction of variables. So here's a problem that she had on her homework that she had issues with, she had trouble with. The problem was 5x equals 55. Okay. So she was like, I think that x equals 5. And I was like, why would she think that? You know, um, 5 times 5 is 25, not 55. Where, what is her train of thinking? But I didn't want to tell her she was wrong because I wanted to uncover what her thinking was and what led her to this. So... I say, okay, so you say it's five. Why do you think that? And she said, well, the answer is 55. So, you know, the second digit has to be a five. And then it clicked to me. She had no idea we were multiplying. She was just filling in the blank. And I'm like, just just figuring out what that issue was and letting her know that we are multiplying and the multiplication sign was just missing now. It made the world a difference. But if you could imagine, if no one goes through that with you and no one takes the time to figure out where your roadblocks are, you'll be stuck forever. And soon you'll be thinking, well, there's no way I can catch up. I still don't even remember like how we do the simple problems. Now we're moving on to polynomials. So, you know, those experiences trying to help others, it just, it opened up my eyes to the fact that, you know, people aren't dumb. People just need to get their information in different ways. And depending on how patient you are, that can make a world of a difference. And unfortunately, an environment like school means that a teacher may not have the resources to be able to go to each student and make sure that they understand in the way that it was presented. And, you know, I think it's something that that leads to a lot of people thinking math is hard. But to the other point of your question, did I ever think it was challenging? Absolutely. So after high school, when I went to college, I was taking um, multivariable calculus. And I was really excited for it. Because like I said, I, I was a math person. I was excited about the professor, my teaching assistants. And but for the first time, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I mean... In high school, you know, my teacher would maybe tell us what the theories are and then would spend the bulk of the time on examples. So, you know, I can I can go home and still understand, you know, uh, how to get to an answer for my homework. 
But in college, this was completely different. The focus was way more on the theory. And then the onus was on you to figure out how to apply it. So I was in office hours every week, but I didn't have a problem with that. It actually made me happy because I was like, oh, look at this. I'm being challenged. (laughs) And, you know, even though there's grades and you're worried about doing well, I still feel like I flourished in that environment because I got such a deep understanding of what was behind the math. And it was more than just, you know, apply this equation over and over again, just with different numbers. It was, do you really understand what's going on here? And by the end of that class, I came out with, what did I get? I might have gotten like a B minus or a C plus, something I wasn't used to in the field of math. (laughs) But I actually kind of felt good about it because I felt like I, I worked hard to do my best. I didn't walk away feeling like a failure. And what are the keys to that kind of mentality? I mean, people are often weighed down with their failure um, or weighed down because of a lack of confidence in their own capabilities. Like, what have been your keys to overcoming that? I feel like a huge key in that was learning that failure is necessary for growth very early on. So in high school, like I said, I didn't really get the challenge there, but I did do a summer program one year. And it was at the university that I actually ended up attending when I went to college. And in this program, for the first time, I was surrounded by people who cared a lot, as much as I did or more, versus my public high school where Half the people were checked out. Maybe a quarter were like, yeah, I kind of care. I at least want to be so I don't get in trouble with my parents. And then you had some of the kids who actually did have drive. But as a whole environment, I didn't feel like I was surrounded by people who wanted to do well and wanted to learn. It was very different than that. But at this summer program, it was the opposite. I was surrounded by people who were at the top of their classes all over the nation, from all over the nation. And so, first of all, I was intimidated. I was like, okay, this is different. I like it, but it's different and I'm scared. Because first of all, how do I fit in with these guys? Um, And then we started taking our classes and I was like, wow. This is nothing that I've seen before. I have questions. Universe, I have questions. I have to go and, and get another hour of help on top of what was already taught in class because I didn't get it the first time. And I'm consulting my classmates for help, which is something that I, it used to be reverse roles in high school. And you know, all of this, instead of letting it eat me up, I had to come, I had to come to the conclusion that one, I didn't know everything. And I wasn't going to be the smartest person in the room for the rest of my life. And in fact, why would I even want that? Because I was having a great, great experience with all these other students who had so much to teach me. And, you know, once I realized that, I came to peace with it. And I, and I actually liked it. I was like, why in the world would I want to always be at the top? Why would I want to be not challenged? And so... Once I accepted that for myself, going to college, it was like a a piece of cake because 
I had no issues going to office hours and talking to my professors and and collaborating with my classmates and encouraging others to to you know do do not struggle alone. Struggling alone is one of the worst things you can do. And in real life, especially at a place like JPL, teamwork is everything. No one can claim that they built a spacecraft by themselves. It was always a group effort. What an amazing attitude to to have because competition can actually really demotivate people. But it sounds like you thrived in that kind of environment. You know, I think that the one of the keys was that while in high school it may have been a competition, in college it wasn't. My school had a culture definitely of collaboration because it didn't want to focus on academic excellence only being shown through grades. Because time after time we've seen that that's not always true. You have CEOs and people who have done these startups who didn't even finish school. So... To make a claim that an A is the epitome of being smart, the best, the most intelligent, it's just false. And the sooner that people come to terms with that, the better. Because at my school, at least, they knew that and they wanted the focus to be on doing good work. Mm-hmm. And that meant talking to others and not living in a bubble because the best work is often done when you work with others. Right. So this development of a really healthy, uh, prosperous attitude, was that something that you developed because of connecting with other people? Or did you have to do this kind of self-development work on your own? That's a good question. I would say that I probably did have to go through somewhat of a transformation. What was that like? Like, can you tell me about that? particular process? I kind of think of it in this way. So sometimes people who struggle with school, or let's say, struggle with math, or whatever it may be, or STEM, you know, they may feel that someone like me, who works at JPL, who got a degree in aerospace engineering, can't relate to their struggle. Never struggle. They're like, you've always been smart. Or... You just have something that I don't. And, you know, what made me really appreciate where this was coming from was going from the top in high school to really dropping in college. Because, you know, where I went, it was like I sat in my first math class and to the right was the math Olympiad from Ecuador and to my left, there was a girl who was trying to research cures to cancer in her bedroom in high school. And all of a sudden, here I am relating to people who were telling me this before. And my thinking before was just, it's not just being smart, it's hard work. But I could tell you now, I could put in all the hard work I wanted but I would find researching cancer cures in my room in high school a very unbelievable reach goal. (laughs) And I can understand why they would be thinking getting an A in math could be a very reach goal. So having fallen taught me what others were going through. But I didn't want to just stay fallen, you know? 
I wanted to use this as an opportunity to grow and see what could I accomplish surrounded by this greatness. Mm. I know where I'm at, but I see where these people are. Do I just take myself out of the race immediately or do I do something about it? That was the crucial pivot that you made because I can, I mean, listening to you makes me realize that you were completely inspired by excellence, being surrounded by excellence. But many people would be uh, crushed by that because, you know, in an, in a competitive environment, um, you feel less than. And that just doesn't sound like it was your experience. No. And I guess the reason why is because when I was sitting next to that student, they were a human. They were a person. I could see them. I could touch them. They were sitting in the same chairs that I was in the same class that I was, even though they were doing that and I was me. And seeing something real, seeing something that you can touch means that it's possible. Oftentimes when we think of, you know, like presidents and people who are CEOs and astronauts. These are people we've never seen before. We've never come in contact before. And they are usually dubbed as the epitome of greatness. But now I was actually able to talk to these people. In my introduction to aerospace engineering class, going back to how I changed from doing theoretical math to engineering, on my first day, our teacher was going over the syllabus for the class. And you know, he's pointing out things like what we're going to learn. He said we're going to be building things. We're going to learn about rockets. We're going to learn about planes. We're going to learn about the history of this field. And he puts up a picture of an astronaut fixing the Hubble telescope. And he points at it and says, that astronaut, uh, that's me. Wow. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> that's not real. And I was like, wait, are you saying that? you are the astronaut in that picture? And he said, yes. And no one else around me was really phased by this information. I guess everyone already knew who this professor was, but I didn't. And all of a sudden, someone who I didn't think could ever exist in my world, an astronaut, was standing right in front of me and teaching me. And you know what? That flipped the switch that said, now is possible for you too. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I've got goosebumps listening to your passion because you sound like a woman that really just kept following her wonderment. Um, was there a defining moment in childhood where you were like, I want to go to space or, you know, just something where it was like a goal that you're working towards, like this untainable dream? To be honest... Not really. I really thought space was cool, but because I didn't have any astronauts in my life or any NASA engineers or anyone who worked on rockets, it was something I knew about, but I didn't know was something that I could actually do in my lifetime. And then years later, you're actually surrounded by those kinds of people. It sounds like your inspiration has kind of increased with your own success. Yes. I feel like now that I know about these things, now that I know that any opportunity that exists in the world is something that is possible, 
It doesn't mean you'll get it all the time. I experienced failure. I didn't get the internship. But it's possible. And you have to put yourself in the running or else it will never happen. Mm. And after going through that and meeting these amazing people and learning about these amazing places, I feel like I've changed as a person. And I know now that anyone who doesn't have that experience, you know, I want to be able to give it to them. And it's a big reason as to why I like to do outreach. And I like to talk to young people and older people about how if you see me and I can talk to you like you're equal, I want you to leave this knowing that you can be me. You can have my job. You can be better than me because I'm talking to you face to face and telling you that it's possible. I think it's, it's so meaningful to have someone in your life doing that. Amazing. So you sound like you have reached your dream. You're working in a place that you've always wanted to work at. Um, you know, you get to be surrounded by mathematics and STEM-related work all day, every day. Do you think you've got it all? I want to say no, and it's not because I'm not grateful. It's just because if I say no, I'm shutting the door to any opportunities for the future that could be even better, even cooler. And do you have an idea of what that might be? Like, do you have aspirations to strive for other things? I do. I wouldn't say they're very well-defined. Like, I couldn't give you my five-year plan or my 10-year mm. plan, even though I'm told to think about it. <laughs> I know I have to be doing something in 10 years. It's probably not this. But I haven't really worked out all the steps. And that's partly because I don't ever want to close myself out from any opportunity else that comes forward. But as some examples of things that I think would be awesome to do is I want to try operating instruments in extreme places here on Earth. It's already crazy to be doing it out in space. I was <laughs> taking pictures of Saturn a year ago. I mean, that's Damn, pretty amazing. Wow. But I want to go to Antarctica. I want to go to the coldest place we have here and I want to live and I want to do the same types of things, but in a completely different working environment. I feel like I could learn so much from mm. that. And, you know, I've talked to people here at JPL. I'm friends with people here at JPL who have made it to the last round of astronaut selection. I'm, I'm so much closer. I feel like I'm so much closer to all these things that used to be fairy tales that now I feel like I'll never be done having aspirations. Right. I can't be because every time I come to a, a higher place, I'm introduced to something even cooler. Like before I met an astronaut, that meant that I could become an aerospace engineer at JPL. I'm being taught by someone who's actually been to space. But now I'm working here and I have coworkers who can tell me about the process of becoming an astronaut and what that was like being interviewed for the position. Wow. And now, you know, it, it means that it'd be kind of dumb for me to say that this is it for me. I've reached my goals. And what about on a personal level? You know, because I, I can see that you're constantly inspired um, by the environment you're in on a professional level but what about on a personal level that's a great question 
on a personal level, I also have very different dreams and aspirations. So just because I'm, I'm not a mathematician, it doesn't mean I don't still care about the subject. And like I said before about how I love the beauty in math and, you know, I like multidisciplinary things. I do want to create a project that can get that across and hopefully, you know, show people that math isn't harsh numbers. It can be more than that if you can learn that. So I feel like I have so many loves. I, I love reading classical literature. I love Shakespeare. I actually um, concentrated in Shakespeare in school, even though I was an engineer. <laughs> um, video games are incredible to me. I just feel like I have to be able to have something to show what I feel on the inside so other people can say, ah, I get what you're talking about now. So that's something that I, I want to do in my personal life. And another thing is, I'm still fairly young. I've only been working here at JPL for two years. And uh, I'm, what, I'm 24 years old right now. I feel like I can't possibly imagine what's going to go on in the next 10 years of my personal yeah. life. Uh, <laughs> there's so much. I mean, I could be married. I could have a kid. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't even know how to begin thinking about those types of things, right? But I imagine they'll affect me greatly. Yeah, I mean, that's what I always find really fascinating about women in STEM, because, you know, clearly you're brilliant um, at professionally. But, you know, how do you how does someone so brilliant uh, balance uh, such a rewarding career with womanhood and potentially motherhood and you know things like that like do you have have you given it any thought I mean at your tender age I wouldn't imagine that that's really of any concern right now you know no I I feel like there are two things I mainly think about one is that I made a good decision coming to work at GPL and that's because the culture here is very supportive. It's very much based on wanting to discover great, amazing things that have never been done before without alienating the people that make them that possible. And, you know, because of that, I don't feel like my job or my career would be in danger if I had a kid, for example or if I got married, or if something came up with my family and I had to leave. I feel like the people here have my back. And because of that, I don't feel too concerned about my personal ambitions affecting my professional life. Right. And then I think that I don't really have a philosophy that I live by per se, but I like to say that everything that I have in my life is a positive. I don't want there to be something in my life that is dragging me down. Those are the types of things that no one should really mm. have. I mean, as an example, you know, people say you, if you're in an abusive relationship, that's something that will drag you down. It's not good for you. If you're not taking care of your mental health, that's dragging you down. You know, you, you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself and making sure that the things coming into your life are positive things. So I feel like because I, 
I acknowledge that as something that's important to me and it's, it's something that will help me reevaluate things that even if I had a life-changing event happen, I don't think that I could ever allow that to negatively impact me. Right. And um, where did you learn that? Who taught you that? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think it was self-realization. I am generally a really happy, I'm a really happy person. And people would describe me as someone who's always smiling. But, you know, I have gone through really tough times in my life. I was suicidal in high school. Um, I've been in bad relationships. And I realized that, you know, I was adding to my own misery because I'm so focused on doing, having good grades. And I'm so focused on being the captain of my athletic teams that I couldn't even stop and care about myself. And so after basically experiencing the bad and yeah. finally getting out of that, I was like, what can I possibly do to make sure this never happens again? Right. I mean, what got you into those dark times? Was there any one thing? Or... You know, um, I can't even say if there was just one thing leading to it. I think it maybe had just been my own, the, my way of uh, handling life was probably just never healthy from the get-go. And after a while, it just breaks you. Um, yeah. And you have to find a new way. You have to find a new way. I feel like I like school because I like to learn. And it wasn't always about getting good grades and all of those things. But, you know, sometimes when the pressure is mounting on you and you're not, and you just keep pushing it to the side it can do some horrible things to your body. And so, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I feel like I just wasn't taking care of myself in the way that I should have been. And I was, mm -hmm. and, it, and it got me to a weird, weird place in my life where I was suicidal for reasons like thinking that I didn't deserve the things that I was getting and that mm -hmm. it was unfair that others couldn't be successful due to the conditions that they grew up in. And, you know, the more I just open my eyes to life outside of, you know, high school silliness where people get bullied for the dumbest things, like, oh, your shoes don't cost more than $50, you're trash. I mean, you, you have kids growing up in that environment. It's so toxic. And when you finally open your eyes to how bad it can really be, and how like maybe that student doesn't have parents, how we had homeless kids at my school and how, you know, someone could have lost their mom or they could be going home every day to work to support their family. When you finally open your eyes up to that, it can be scary because you're basically opening your eyes to your own privilege. And, you know, it, it was just shocking. It was shocking how awful the world could be to people who already had nothing. And I... So is that what got you into the darkness or is that what pulled you out of it? I think it was, I would say it's what got me into the darkness, but it's also what pulled me out of it. So I Amazing. had to go through that first acceptance that, yeah, the world's mm -hmm. not perfect. In fact, it can be pretty horrible. 
I mean, I'm just focused on my own ecosystem of understanding that my high school could be so detrimental to all these kids. And that's just America. What about outside of here? But the more I thought about it, you know, the depression lasted for months. It wasn't an easy journey out. It really wasn't. But the more I talked to others about it and the more I talked to myself about it, I realized that like almost everything in life, I can't change everything. I can't help everyone, but it doesn't mean I shouldn't try. And the moment that I give up, that's, that's when things don't matter. Now that I have this knowledge and now that I know that even me in high school can see that some people are just going through something that I would never understand or ever be able to relate to, it doesn't mean that I can't do something, do something to be a positive thing in their life. And that could mean the world to them. So suicide just didn't so seem like that... a good option after that point. Right, right. So is that, would you say that that is the key then to really, um, the key to kind of prosperity is, to figure out how you can help others. Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. I feel like if you have knowledge, if you know about a problem, if you know, knowing is the first step, now you have all the power in the world to do something about it because you're in the know. I mean, ignorance really is bliss. It really, really is. There are people who've never thought about this in their life because they never had to. Yeah. And but the second you know, now you can do something about it, and that's the most that's the most important part. Um, so I, yeah, I feel like if you give back to others, if you make sure that you're grounded, if you understand that you have gotten to where you are by help of others, by circumstance, by opportunities, by your own hard work. If you understand all these factors come into play and you can understand that everyone lives their own different life where things may not be on equal footing, equal ground, it now means that you can help make it that way. You can help bring those opportunities to others and you can help inspire people to also do what they can to their fullest potential. And I feel like that's, that's yeah. the best thing in the world. Everyone has different circumstances, different privileges, different um, setbacks, but we can all help each other to thrive um, if we have an awareness of our own kind of shortcomings and qualities, I guess. Yeah, we're all different. And that doesn't mean a bad thing. It just means we're different. So on that note, then, what has it been like being a minority, um, assuming that uh, women at JPL are a minority? Um, well, I would actually say that, you know, being a minority is a, it's a significant part of who I am because not only am I a woman, but I'm also Black. And growing up, you know, I definitely grew up completely oblivious of that fact, sometimes to my own detriment. Why is that? Well, I distinctly remember that when I was younger, anytime my mom mentioned race, I would get mad at her. I would say that, you know, 
I would say, you know, we're, we're all the same, you know, we're all the same and color shouldn't matter. And I would say these things even after this happened to me and my brother when we were, I don't know, I must've been in elementary school and he wanted to visit one of his friends in a nearby development. And he goes to knock on the door, a woman answers and immediately says, get off of my property and sticks her dog on my brother and me. And it was such a ugly thing to transpire. Um, Mm. And, you know, because I was so, so set on we're all the same and I couldn't under, I couldn't reconcile what had just happened. I'm like, we're, Mm. we're kids. We were being nice. We were being kind. He's your, he's your son's friend. Why would you possibly do something like this? It made me realize that we do have to recognize, at the very least, recognize that we aren't all the same. We are different. And that's not an issue. It's not an issue. And in fact, it's what, what allows for places like JPL to exist, having inclusion and diversity of thought. Even. But... You know, after that happened, I couldn't just ignore the fact that I was Black anymore. And it became more pronounced when I got to high school and suddenly I was taking AP classes and I would look around the room and I'm one of three, one of two, one of one who looked like me. And even though people say that race doesn't mean anything, it kind of seems like it's the only thing that will set you apart um and to explain this better this is kind of something i learned in college um i felt like in high school everyone considered me the smart one right i was the smart the smart black girl that's that's how i was defined because how else can you define me i'm like unique in that way i guess and because i'm recognized as a smart black girl um, other black people might have kind of alienated me because I didn't have street smarts. You know, you're hanging out with those kids, which is fine. I get it. We're not doing the same things. And if you're not in the same class in high school, it's hard to hang out outside of that, especially if you're doing groups. But then for in my quote unquote smart classes, I was the black girl because everyone else in the class was smart, right? So here's my differentiating feature. And every joke that was told, every JK, every, it always had to be about the fact that I was the black one, how I was in Oreo, how they're blacker than me. Oh, come check out my tan. I'm darker than Janelle now. And when that's all people can say about you, when that's all they can say, it's, it's concerning. It makes you start to think, do they even know who I am? Because they claim yeah. that like they're just joking and that they don't care that I'm black, but it seems like anytime they talk to me, they have to reference it, and that's all they can yeah. reference. How did it not make you angry? You know, it did for a long time because when I was in high school, I was definitely a doormat, and these are the things that contributed to me falling into depression. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to start trouble. I was going to be in these classes with these people for the next two, three years. So I'm not about to escape it. And I'm also not the type to make enemies. I like to believe that everyone has the potential to be a friend. And 
yeah, making enemies just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. So, you know, I'm, I have mentioned it. I may mention it on one or two occasions, but if you don't get it, then you don't want to get it. And I feel like yeah. I, I only finally got my voice when I went to college because for the first time, I was with a large amount of Black people who were smart and Black, which meant that for the first time, I was neither of those things. I was just a person. And so people could actually get to know who I was because I wasn't the smart one and I wasn't the Black one. Hmm. And, you know, that just... That was such an amazing experience for me. It was the first time that I could truly appreciate that I was something outside of what everyone else was telling me. I hated being just a smart person. Like, what does that even mean? I hated just being a Black person. Can't I just be a person too? And I only got that when I was with with people who would have had the same labels as me. Right, and it kind of sounds like you know, you just pushed through toxic circumstances. Like, you know, it doesn't sound like you've always been in a supportive, encouraging environment, but you push through it and you push through it. And now you're in an environment that really nurtures all of you, every aspect of who you are. Well, you know, I wouldn't say exactly that. Just because, you know, here at work, it's not like school. I'm not surrounded by people who would be labeled the same way as me. Um, I've definitely taken a project picture where I was the only black person in it. Um, but because I went through that experience and because I now know who I am besides labels, I know, I have a voice. Like I, I would not call myself a doormat anymore. And I haven't experienced issues here with people judging me on my race or that I was a, or that I'm a woman. I haven't had those problems, but I do know that I can defend myself now, and I'm. I just I am unwilling, and I know I will never go back to being a doormat. And because of that, I feel completely confident in my workplace, whether I am represented well or not. Dang. <laughs> Dang, girl. Um, that is so amazing. Um, gosh, so, I mean, I, I feel utterly inspired by what you've said already. But in summary, you know, for any young girls that are kind of following in your footsteps, they're kind of going through similar dark times to what you probably went through, like what advice would you give them to maybe skip out some of the heartache that you went through? I would say that you are your best advocate. And in order to be your best advocate, you need to cut out anything that is holding you back from being your best self. And I know that can be easier said than done, but being optimistic always shooting for opportunities, never letting go of your dreams or goals, that's what's going to allow you to accomplish what you want to do in life. In other words, never give up. That's what I would say. Right, because I think some people hang on to uh, situations because they don't believe that they are better than those situations. Like sometimes they feel like, you know, like, let's just say at JPL, you weren't getting the support um, 
you know, maybe you still hang in there because it's JPL. Oh gosh, don't ever do that. Oh man. (laughs) It may be JPL, but you come first. You come first because if there's no you, then there's no JPL either. So what's the point? Right. So you've got to fight for yourself. And I know that not everyone is cut out to do that because I'm not one of those people. I hate confrontation, but you know, there are certain things that are worth fighting for. And the same reason why you would protect a kid from a predator is the same reasons why you should protect yourself from predatory situations in your life. You are important. You have to believe that and you have to act like it. You are important and you are worth fighting for. And as long as you have your back, you can go forward confidently. Amazing. Well, I just think you're a total inspiration. Um, I hope you continue to do the work of inspiring others to follow in your footsteps because you sound utterly unique. um, And I'm just very privileged that you came on this show to share your wisdom with all of us. Oh, thank Um, you so much. Thank you. uh, I'm curious to know what you think about the movie hidden figures like oh. i mean you just seem like so much more inspiring than those inspiring people on that movie those oh. women um oh what's you know from one inspiring woman to another like what what how did you find that film you know it's so sad i watched that movie and when i tell you i didn't even know like i really had no idea I didn't even bother to look up the history of how people like me came into NASA and seeing it for the first time on the big screen like that. Mm. I cried. Yeah. I mean, I was learning about women who made it possible for someone like me to even get an aerospace engineering degree to just get the degree. Mm. Oh, so inspiring. Oh, there were so many moments where I just couldn't believe what had come before me. Right. Did it, did it change your perspective on your own journey? You know, it made me realize that I can't afford to ever doubt myself. Cause look at what these ladies went through. They had all the reasons in the world to quit, all the reasons in the world to leave, to give up to feel sorry for themselves, to hate others, and look at what they did instead. So, you know, there's no challenge too high for me. There's no excuses, there's no, there really can't be anything because if they can do it, then I can too. Right, and I honestly get that feeling from listening to you today. You've just been an amazing guest on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. That's it from my guest this week. Uh, I am smiling from ear to ear because I, ah, what an absolute gem of a person to have found. Her humility and her persistence and her passion for doing what she's doing. And, you know, for someone so young, it's, it's just utterly inspiring. Um, I have learned so much in this short hour and, you know, just lessons of kind of not getting involved in 
unencouraging and unnurturing situations, but believing in yourself and fighting for your true potential and, and realizing your true dreams, I think is the lesson I've taken away from today's guest. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave comments and feedback. And I'll catch you next week on Silence.